This extended interview is being published alongside a podcast on gender-affirming care for kids, which you can hear by visiting our website at hearmenowpodcast.org. You will also find there a directory of additional extended interviews on trans-related healthcare issues. Up next, Karen and Daniel Bogard talk about their young son's transition and about the support they've received in their social and faith communities and the threats they face from the state legislature as parents of a trans child in Missouri. This conversation is being archived at the National Folklife Center at the Library of Congress as part of the Hear Me Now Oral History Project, the largest collection of healthcare narratives in the country. I'm always struck when we talk about being parents of trans kids, how intimate it is what Mm -hmm. we're sharing and that we're sharing details about our eight-year-old child that really no one should have to share and that certainly no eight-year-old should have to have shared about them. And I come back to it over and over again. The the only reason we have these conversations, the only reason we do these interviews or go on these podcasts or whatever it is, is because it's the only way we know how to push back against the bigots and bullies that control our state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you that these details about our child's life wouldn't ordinarily be interesting and no one would think twice about him or care. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm always struck by, uh, by j- just how much of a violation it is already to have to share. And how much it makes it define him. Like, this is so small. As far as who he is as a person, he's interesting and he loves to learn and computers and art. And, Mm. like, this isn't a topic we talk about except when it comes to the state. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think surprises people. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. So, what's your earliest memory of, like, having some inkling that, that... Maybe our child was genderqueer. Probably. Well, I remember when we lived in our first home when he was really young. And I remember cleaning out his older brother's closet. And this was just something that I did periodically. Kids outgrow clothes. And I remember him going through the bin and pulling out his older brother's stuff. And at the time, he was a girl. And I kept saying, you have your own clothes. You don't need his hand-me-downs. And that's what he wanted to wear. Yeah. And he would have been all of, what, two, three? three? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think about three. Yeah. Yeah, that's my first memory, too, is him insisting from the moment he had any choice at all. I mean, really, before he even was speaking in full sentences, uh, that he wanted to wear boys clothing and in particular boys underwear that always stood out. Yeah, I agree. Uh huh. Because re- his twin who is a girl never had those same feelings about clothes and never even cared really about no. what she was wearing. No. And he was always insistent. And uh-huh. there was something about underwear too, because it's private, right? It's not like it's about your public presentation. Right. 
Um, okay, so what's the next moment for you in the story? Um, I don't know. That continued. That theme continued for a while. Yeah. I remember we used to, we would have conversations about this, and one of the things was always, does he want to be a boy, or does he just really want to be his older brother? Right. Right. Well, that was the question, because he also, I don't worship his older brother, and so where do you draw that line in siblings when they're close and they love each other, and one is younger, and I think that we both kind of thought maybe, but kind of were willing to let it play out. Yeah. In whatever direction it was going to play out in. So my next memory, I don't know about you, the next sort of landmark for me is we had just moved to St. Louis so about four years ago. And I was putting him to bed one night. I was putting him all to bed and seeing their mm. songs. And he turned to me and said, Daddy, do you think God could make me over again as a boy? Yeah. Um, and I remember going in and I remember telling you about that. Uh, and I remember us kind of laughing and saying, well, we are either going to always remember this conversation <laughs> uh, or it's going to end up being a no big deal, nothing of a conversation. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's, it was at that point when things started accelerating a little bit. For me, it would be my grandmother's 90th birthday. Remember the fit he threw? Yeah. So we went out of town because my grandmother and my parents don't live in St. Louis and I, we were having this party for my grandma. So I packed our son, whatever he would wear, khakis and a, and a button-down shirt, and I packed the twins, who were both girls at the time, dresses. And he threw a fit and refused and cried and didn't want to wear it. And I remember turning to him and saying, if you just wear this one time, I promise I'll never make you wear a dress again. And then the holidays came, and we bought new clothes, and he bought khakis and a button-down shirt. Yeah, and that's what oh, you I the forgot holidays. about that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember receiving so many messages mm-hmm. from folks at the time uh, saying, oh my God, it means so much that you're letting your child, then then they would have said your daughter, uh, dress like this. I wish my parents had let me do that at the time. Queer adults mostly who were reaching out. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kept asking also for a short haircut. That was the same time. A boy's haircut. Yeah, and that was really the last piece of it, I think, for us. That kind of, remember, that was like the last thing. Because once he got the haircut... There were a few generations of that haircut, right? He kept asking for a short well, boy's haircut. Well, we have to back up. You have to back up. Because he went to summer camp. Oh, yeah. Uh, one summer. And he has always worn a boy's bathing suit. So, like, shorts and a, and a swim top. And we, you know, whatever. That's what he wanted to wear. He was a she then. <laughs> and people at camp kept asking if he was a boy or a girl. And it really and bothered it him. I forgot about that. really yeah. bothered him. And so when he started asking for the haircut, we had a lot of conversations about people how people ask even more. Yeah. might ask that. And we didn't want to like set him up for failure. And so we started by cutting it to like his chin and then his, his ears. ears. <laughs> and then... But by the time he got his short boy haircut, I'll never forget, right? He yeah. got that haircut and he turned to us and he said, I'm a boy now. Yep. And that was it. That was the, it. From his perspective, his hair was short and he was a boy. Yeah. And uh, he definitely asked us, we weren't sharing it at school. We weren't sharing it anywhere else, um, except we were getting all of these messages every day after school 
from people, uh, all these teachers who would send us these messages. Oh, it means so much that, you know, your son reached out and he told me I'm the only person that he's telling. And I was so, it was so meaningful that he told me this and trusted me with this secret. But like he was telling everybody I forgot this. So everyone had to keep it a secret, but everybody knew. Well, know? I remember it was hard because he was going by he at home and not he at school. And he has two siblings. So they were really struggling to call him he at home and she at school. And I remember we kind of sat him down and we were like, listen, like we will support whatever you decide, but this, this isn't working, especially for his twin. Yeah. 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 His twin was one. She definitely had the hardest time of anyone with the transition. Yeah. And she would say things like her friends at school, not thinking like, oh, my brother should be saying this, or maybe this is his story to tell, but she was six. Yeah. So we, you know, I remember that conversation too. So he came to us with a new name the day before lockdown. March 13th. March 13th. It was just two years. And he said the name to me. And the very first time I thought, my God, that name fits you better than Mm -hmm. than the name we had originally given you. Um, Yeah. And so we asked him not to tell anyone the name for a couple weeks. Because he's a kid. Yeah. We figured like maybe... He might choose a different name or whatever. And, and To be fair, the draft name before this, which I never heard, but you did, was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles name. So like, yeah, which pre- precipitated a conversation about names and where do our names come from and, and the importance of names in our family. So we decided that he wasn't going to tell anyone yet the name. We'd give it a few weeks. And so, of course, it was all of three minutes later when he had taken your cell phone. <laughs> He didn't know how to read at this point, but he had taken your cell phone. And saw the picture of my parents. Well, why don't you tell the story? So he took my cell phone and really wanted to tell his grandparents, um, who he's very close with. And my mom answered, and she happened to be with some other family members who... um, It's the Republican side of the family. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't sure the PC way to say that. Nice, lovely, wonderful human beings. Lovely people, but maybe like would have a differing opinion on some of this. And my mom answered on speakerphone and our kid goes, Hi, Grandma, I'm going to use boy words now and my name is so-and-so and that's what I want you to call me. And and, um, my mom was like, okay. And then I got a call back that was... When there are big things like this, can you please give me a heads up? <laughs> Which, honestly, it had been, you know, 10 minutes. And, and he was just, I think, so excited to express who he really was. And it had, like, been in him for so long that it was, like, a big moment. Yeah. Yeah. I. It definitely, there was a learning curve for our parents. But different it was generation. Too. Different generation. But it was a short learning curve, too. And to me, what maybe is the most surprising to so many folks is what a not big deal his transition has been. Yeah. That that really, like, it definitely took our parents. There was a learning curve. But even our great-grandmothers have totally, like, jumped on board, never really been a thing. Nothing. They just... But I... It's who he is. It's who he is. And when you spend time with him, it's so obvious. And when you see how happy he is. Like, he's just a normal kid 
who loves to play sports and run around and irritate his siblings. And, like, it's such a small piece of his identity, which has been blown out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, it was a not big deal when he went back to school. Right. We even (laughs) forgot... We, oh, no. Uh, you can tell that story. It was such a not big deal. Well, we were so ootsy about going back to in-person school So wait, we have to COVID. give a date. So he, tra- he chose his new name March 13, 2020. Which was the day before lockdown. Right. And so we were home. They finished that year of kindergarten on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then for first grade, we're going back in person. And we were so ootsy about the idea of the kids going to in-person <laughs> school during COVID. Yep. That we never even called or contacted the school <laughs> about the fact that, that he had transitioned genders and names. I know. Now people knew, like the kindergarten teacher knew, the I principal knew his name in on the system. The enrollment. Said, but we never had, a conversation, never had a conversation with them. And the reality is we never needed to. That there was no. no that there has been no drama at school. There's been no drama with his friends. There's no been no drama socially. Um, they even, right, like in his first grade class, they threw a little party for him on the one year anniversary of his transition. Yeah. Um, the yeah. rabbi, he goes to the Jewish school, the rabbi knit him a kippah, a head covering traditionally worn by men. Uh, in trans colors. In, in the, the pink and blue and uh, white. Of the trans flag, yeah. right? I can't even say it without crying a little. Yeah. Um, at our synagogue, he's been embraced and loved as who he is in a really drama-free mm-hmm. way. But immediately it became clear that if we were going to love and support and affirm our trans kid, it meant we were going to have to defend him from our state legislators. And, you know, that's the part of the story I don't think I mentioned. That before we had told our parents before we had told the school, before we had told anyone, but really our immediate family at home, we had told the General Laws Committee of the Missouri House. Mm-hmm. Because immediately it was clear that our government was at war with our family and with our child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to shield him from a lot of the stuff that he hears. And um, he knows about some of what's happening in our state on his level. Um, And it's really sad. And it's made us reconsider where we want to live and if we can even stay here. Yeah. I mean, this is, what, three or four years in a row now that we have slept down to Jeff City. And they, they... These awful legislators, they do it on purpose. They they schedule these meetings, you know, with the two days notice and they schedule it at 8 a.m., the public hearings, so that right. if you want to go and testify against this you, and you live in one of the cities, you're waking up at 5.30 in the morning, 5 in the morning to schlep to Jeff City to speak your two minutes while trying to get your legislators to stop picking on your child. Um, and like... Picking on things that really aren't their business. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's really like about him and our family and the decisions we make with our doctors and our medical providers. And it really has nothing to do with the state government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's awful there. Mm-hmm. It's awful. There, There's this sense when you walk into the state capitol, there, there's a... Um, there's a midrash, there's a rabbinic story that 
talks about Moses when he was going to Pharaoh uh, to, to ask that his people be let go, that it says that he went into Pharaoh, uh, not just into Pharaoh's palace, but into Pharaoh, that, that he was entering into sort of the supernal evil. And it's this image of a snake as he walks into Pharaoh's palace, curling uh, around itself as, as you get closer to the center of evil. And the first time I walked into Jeff City three years ago, it was the image that immediately came to mind. There is a sense of evil that just seeps out of the place. And frankly, there's a sense of white Christian nationalism that is reinforced everywhere you go in that building. And that's that's certainly what what these laws feel like to me. It feels like these people are abusing our child for the sake of religion religion and flexing I mean, their own religious we, power. We talk about separation of church and state, but I think we all know, especially now, that that's really not true because there's no reason why someone should go after children. Children. People in general. I mean, it's awful. And it's so clear this is who he is. And he's such a happy kid. And it, like, breaks our hearts that the battles we're fighting don't have to happen. Yeah, there is no... There is no reason that being trans has to be anything but a positive in his life outside of the way that our state government is behaving. And it is a positive. In, I mean, it is, it is not no a thing. question. Um, but it, you know, look, we, we live in a house that my grandpa built, that my dad grew up in, uh, that I grew up in. Uh, that our kids are the fourth generation. Yeah. I think. I, I work at a congregation. We work at a congregation that I grew up at. And we're up in the middle of the night panicked about what are we going to do if they pass one of these Texas-style or Idaho-style laws. Which we can't even bring ourselves to talk about in our home with our children around. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, we're pretty open with, with our kids, but not about those laws, not about these laws where they're sending government agents to affirming, loving families of trans kids to take them away and place them in abusive white Christian nationalist homes where it's definitionally abusive, right? They're taking trans kids away from affirming, loving parents and placing them somewhere that... Doesn't accept them and wants to change them. Yeah, yeah. And we'll kill them. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things we always talk about is that you'll have to go over the statistics, but children who are trans are already at a disadvantage when it comes to... Oh, there's a huge percent. Something like mm-hmm. 70% of all trans kids attempt to take their life at some point. And what they say is that what changes that and puts this child on a level with everybody else is to have one accepting, loving person. And like how lucky our child is that he has so many accepting, loving people in his life. And yet we're still fighting this battle because our state is like intent on creating laws that harm him and harm our family. And that that's the piece too that gets to me. That... It's not just that these laws, if they were passed, would harm our family and our kid and other vulnerable children. It's that even the way that they have these debates mm-hmm. harm children. There, there are children 
who have killed themselves because of these legislators in Missouri. I have no doubt that oh, there is sure. genuine, real blood on the hands of those awful human beings in Jeff City who, through their bigotry and bullying, use trans kids as a political tool so that they can win their mm-hmm. basis support or, or whatever it is. Well, that's it's, all it is. Because this is such a small percentage of people in general, too, right? Like, think about, you know, the when I was in Jeff City, people keep bringing up one example, or this specific person did this, so we need a law against it. But the truth is, these these people are amazing, but they're so, f- like, they're not the majority. These they're are such not... Such a tiny little yeah, minority. Yeah, exactly. And yet, they are targeted and gone after, like... You know, their way of life is going to harm other people, and it's not. There is this view, I think, that looks out and sees so many more openly trans folk today and asks, views views being trans is almost contagious. It's a contagion that can be caught and passed on. And I think all we're seeing is that finally... There is just the tiniest crack in the window that is letting folks be themselves in a way that they've been forced not to be. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, look, that we're both rabbis. And to me, that's one of the beauties of Jewish history is that to be a Jew is to be in conversation with thousands of years of our story, which means thousands of years of stories of trans Jews as well. You, you go back to the rabbis of the Mishnah, the, the contemporaries and the study partners of, of the historical Jesus. And these folks looked at their world and they saw six different genders. They didn't see a binary that everyone needs to be forced into. They saw six sexes. Or you, you look back at shtetl life in, in the Ukraine 150 years ago. And we have examples not just of folks transitioning, but of folks transitioning and being embraced and loved and accepted as their gender and being taught, you know, if they're trans men to lead the the prayers in the synagogue, which only men would have been able to do, and, and are married in the synagogue underneath the chuppah, underneath the, the, the canopy to to Jewish women. to In different names. And and with name transition, and right, this is, mm-hmm. there's nothing new about this. And it's just that our legislator wants to bully these human beings back into the deadly closets. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, at its core, that's really what it's about. Um, And it's so hurtful to these people and our family and all families because these are really private matters. This is not something, like, we want to discuss with the Missouri government. And um, it takes away time from our family to do this work. And we love doing this work, but it's all... What, two and a half hour trip each way to Jeff City? And it's so traumatic. We always, you know, I've been five weeks in a row and we come back afterwards and just having to listen to your legislators lie about your child and bully your child. And other, and like, honestly, I feel grateful when we can go because at least we have jobs that understand we need to fight this fight. But there's so many people that we speak for who aren't able to get there and love their children and need someone to speak for them. I think about last time we were there and the state legislator, who there's a 14-year-old who came to, to defend himself from his government, right? Misses a day of school, 
uh, shows up, drives these two hours there, sits there to speak his two minutes of truth, a trans teenager. And it's so intimidating to sit there, right? It's intimidating as a rabbi and as an adult. I can't even imagine. It's going to be a 14-year-old kid. And these state legislators, I, I don't know why we're pretending, these Republican state legislators, yeah. because the reality is that's who this is. It's, it's Republicans doing this. Um, they sat and they asked this 14-year-old about his genitals. Mm-hmm. Like a lawmaker at a public hearing was asking a 14-year-old about his genitalia. It, it, and in no other world would that ever, ever be like... I. I I want to stand up and ask these people sometimes, why are you so interested in the genitals of children? Like... I know. I've thought about that, too. Like, they seem really concerned with this. And frankly, like I've said, it's really none of their business. Really. And we love our child. And we love all children. (laughs) And we have friends who have... I mean, this is not going to disappear because they don't want to deal with it or they want to create laws or X, Y, and Z. I mean, this is who people are. It's just so, it boggles my mind sometimes to see how drama-free this transition has been outside of the bullying Mm -hmm. of our state government. And the idea that as a third-generation Missourian, I would have to flee the state. I know. Right? Like that that they would pass these laws and that we would be refugees from Missouri, that we would have to flee the state, maybe go to Illinois if we can make it work with our job or who knows, are they going to start like coming after us if we cross the border? Do we have to leave the country? It's what, what happens when another white Christian nationalist Republican administration comes into federal power again? Right. And starts passing these things as we look out and see a Supreme Court that's been subverted by white Christian nationalism. Um, Yeah. You know, I think about what's happening in Florida with the gay word. So that's being able to say gay. Yeah, yeah. And I saw this meme and it said, um, gay children are still going to be born whether or not you can say the word gay. And like, that is the whole... If you met our child, you would see that this is who he is and who he has been before he could even express it. And th- and that's the thing. We have brought him so many times now to Jeff City for lobby days. We don't bring him to testimony days because the things that the legislators say are so hateful and awful. And, you know, oh, did you just transition because your mom didn't love you enough? Um, just awfulness. Um, but we bring him to lobby days where he meets with legislators. And the idea is just that these people need to see these kids as human, right? Like, mm-hmm. And you meet with these Republican legislators and they say the same thing to you over and over again. They say, yeah, you know, I agree. Government shouldn't be doing this. And I'm sorry if it comes to the floor, I need to vote in favor of it. And mm-hmm. it's just this. This is how fascism comes to our state. Mm-hmm. This is how fascism comes to America, uh, right? It's an old line, and it's so true that when fascism comes to this country, it will come with the flag and the cross. And that's very much the experience here. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully the work we have put in will subvert all of this for at least another year. 
Yeah, right? Like that that's the thing. How much longer can we stay in this state? How much longer can we be here as our govern government targets our kid and our mm-hmm. family? Mhm. For political gain. This right there's no it's not like there's anything real here. Mhm. Exactly. Um, you know, there's parts of the Torah, parts of the Old Testament that um, we have to maybe reinterpret so that modern times meshes up with our religious beliefs. But that's kind of the core of it all is is the creation story that um, we are all created equal in the image of God. And I believe that for my child and I believe that for every person in this world. That we are created to be just exactly as we are. Yeah, I, this notion of being B'Tselem Elohim, that all of us, all of us are images of the divine and reflections of perfection. Um, it's incredibly powerful because it's a reminder that trans folk and their experience are sacred as well. And when we look at the rabbinic tradition, when we look at Jewish tradition, we have so many stories like this. We have stories that suggest that Mordechai uh, uh, grew breasts in order to be able to nurse Esther. Hmm. We have stories that suggest that Dina uh, underwent a gender transition. We have stories that Abraham and Sarah were tumtumim, that they were um, intersex individuals. These are long-time Jewish stories. These are stories that have been told for thousands of years that Jesus would have heard, that Jews have have long been familiar with. And there are stories which speak to the sacredness of trans folk, but also that just speak to the existence of trans folk. There have always been trans people, that this has always been one of the expressions of what it means to be human. And these laws and the bullying that our legislature is putting forward, they don't make transness go away. They just teach trans people to hate themselves. And they teach other people to hate trans people in a world where we are all created in the image of God and we should be loving and accepting and and know this. Yeah, yeah. Just a Um, hateful message. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 